On January 22nd, 1973, the Supreme Court of the United States of America issued their decision in the case known as Roe versus Wade, which legalized the practice of abortion in the 50 states of the United States of America. The decision wasn't even close. It was a 7-2 majority. Only two out of the nine Supreme Court justices opposed the ruling. And now each January, we set aside one Sunday to remember this and mourn. We also want to speak up for the unborn who are not able to speak for themselves and sound the alarm that this is happening in our country and God will judge. The dictionary defines abortion as the deliberate termination of a human pregnancy. The same dictionary then defines the word pregnant as a woman having a child developing in the uterus. So according to the secular dictionary, abortion then is the deliberate termination of a human child developing in the uterus of a woman. Those pictures on the screen that we just saw a few minutes ago, cute little babies. Since 1973, it has been legally approved, it's been a legally approved practice to terminate or to kill those children as they are developing within the body of their mother. Now, I was born in 1974, so the America that I have grown up in has been a nation which has refused to defend the right to life of its youngest and most vulnerable citizens. America is a dangerous place for the unborn. More than 60 million pregnancies have been terminated by abortion in my lifetime. You may have heard that the number of abortions in our country has been dropping, which is true and is, of course, good news. Many abortion clinics have, have had to close in recent years since the Trump administration put an end to federally funding them, at least during his time in office. And yet even with abortions dropping, there were well over 870,000 pregnancies terminated by abortion in 2018. So America is still a dangerous place for the unborn. Of babies that are aborted, 26% occur at six weeks. At six weeks, the baby's heart is already beating. At seven weeks, the baby's head is noticeably developing with the brain growing and the face starting to show the nostrils and eye sockets. The baby grows quickly during those first weeks. And not too long ago, it was, it was believed that there could only be a viable birth that is a birth where the baby is able to survive in a neonatal intensive care unit. Viable births were believed to only, only be able to happen at, at 24 weeks or beyond. Well, in the past few years, there have been recorded births and survivals of babies born at 23 and now 22 weeks. Yet... Many abortions still take place at 24 weeks or beyond. So I really wish I didn't have to talk about this. I, I know this isn't something that you want to think about. It is a disturbing reality. There are a lot of other social problems in our nation that we could talk about. But this one, this one is alarming more than any other for its wickedness, its blasphemy, 
and it's outright hellish evil. So what I want us to consider this morning is just what are people doing when they terminate a pregnancy? What are we doing when we terminate the life of an unborn human? What message are we sending? The Bible tells us clearly that human beings are created in the image and likeness of God. One of the more memorable and disturbing scenes that we will remember from this past year was the tearing down of statues in the riots of some certain American cities. Rioters tore down uh, images of American leaders, of presidents, of, of, of war heroes. It seemed no statue was safe in some places. So what message were those writers trying to communicate by tearing down the image of a past American leader? What were they saying they thought of that leader whose image they destroyed? What message then do we communicate when we attack the developing body of a human child made in the image of God within the womb? And the Bible goes even further for us to, to challenge us about when we even try to hurt others made in his image, what we say about other people. The Bible says when we seek to do harm to another made in his image, we are really showing what we think about God. That's why we are focusing this morning on Genesis 1, 26 through 28 on this Sanctity of Life Sunday. So as we turn our attention now to his word, main theme we see in these verses that every human, no matter how small, is created in, or is created with a divine likeness and purpose. Every human, no matter how small, is created with a divine likeness and purpose. Let's look first there at verse 26. God's good decision and design for humanity. Verse 26. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, over the livestock and over all the earth, over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So first, let's, let's focus on, on God's good decision. God's good decision here. At the beginning of verse 26, God speaks and says, let us make man. The word for man here in the original language is a generic term for mankind or for humanity. It could be translated, let us make mankind or let us make human beings in our image. This is a decision that God here is communicating. But who is he speaking to? Well, again, it says, let us make man. This is a decision that God is making along with others. He, he, he then goes on to say, let us make man in our image after our likeness. So these are plural possessive pronouns in the Hebrew language. But, but then if you look down at verse 27, there it reads, so God created man in his own image. There the Hebrew switches back to a singular pronoun referring to God, the creator, in his image. So there have been, there have been many studies done by Hebrew scholars and uh, on these verses here, because it's a little bit strange to, to see it written th this way, but the consensus of faithful biblical scholars is that this is most definitely a reference to the divine trinity within the Godhead. That God, 
his one in being in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The Spirit of God has already been mentioned at the beginning of chapter 1 of Genesis in verse 2, and then of course later in the New Testament, we see there that God the Son was directly involved in the creation of all things in John chapter 1 as well as in Colossians chapter 1. So it should not come as a surprise to see this reference of God here as us, or are, the three in one deliberating and deciding together to create humanity in our image, as it says. Now, of course, this was not the first part of God's creation. If we would have read in from verse 1 in chapter 1, we would, have, uh, we, we would know that we are on day 6 of the creation narrative. Throughout this narrative, God has been creating the heavens and the earth, the light, the sky, and dividing up the seas and land on the earth. Then he filled the land with plants and trees. He made the light to shine in the day and a light to shine on the earth in the night and filled the sky with stars. Then he filled the seas and the sky with creatures. And then he filled the land with creatures. And then ultimately, he made man in his own image. So the crowning achievement of all of his creation here is found in verse 27. It is clear that, that, that humanity is special. Humanity is different, is distinct from the rest of creation. For throughout these days of creation, the Bible shows that God would say, let there be, and then there was. And that is all it took for everything in all of the heavens and the earth to be created. God just spoke, let there be, and there was. But something changes when we get to verse 26. Here we see God speaks and says, let us make man in our image after our likeness. No other creature gets to be made by God in this way. In fact, in chapter 2, the word that is used is that God formed man out of the dust of the earth. He formed him like a potter would form a pot out of clay. And it says then, God breathed into his nostrils the breath of life there in chapter 2. So what this language reveals to us is how personally involved God was in the creation and formation of humanity. But for the rest of creation, there's this, dis there's this distance. God says, let, let there be, and there is. But then with man, he's personally involved in the formation and giving life to man. From the very beginning, God had a special relationship with man. We then also see the good design that God had made for humanity in the second half of verse 26, where it says, let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, over the livestock, over all the earth, over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. The word, therefore, dominion, is another word that is often misunderstood. What it doesn't mean is that man is supposed to dominate the creatures of the earth, kind of like the Iowa Hawkeyes dominated the Nebraska Cornhuskers on Friday night in their wrestling match. That's not what it means here. What it does point to is is a kingly rule governing and protecting the creatures and the land. It points to the recognition that the creatures would have regarding humanity. They would know 
that man is the ruler over them. Man is the one placed here to be their leader. Man is to be the divine king's representative or vice-regent to rule over the world and its creatures in the place of the divine king. This is something that we still see today as man has domesticated animals and continues to care for the animals in a variety of ways, helping animals to thrive in their habitats where they were once struggling to survive. We are also very familiar with how man has managed the earth in such a way that just a percentage of the population is able to farm the ground and to produce food that feeds whole nations. And man is also able to study and develop vaccines to overcome the terrible and debilitating effects of a virus. These are just some of the ways that man has exercised dominion over God's creation. And secondly, as we look at at verse 27, we see humanity is both male and female, created by God to know him and be like him. Look at this standout verse here of the whole of chapter 1. It's poetic in nature. It just kind of stands out to you on the page And it's meant to. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. So there are three main truths, three main realities that this glorious verse teaches us. This verse is saying that humanity is not on the earth because of some great cosmic accident. Human beings do not inhabit this planet just because of some natural process that began by chance millions of years ago. No, no, God's word poetically sings to us here that this world is filled with people because of God himself. God created man. God created the human race. See how that truth is emphasized in these lines. Three times we hear that declaration, God created man, he created him, he created them. That's emphasis. We are to to know this. This is the message we are to get out of this passage. Humanity has a divine origin, not simply a natural one. He is the creator, and we are his creatures. The second reality is that humans are created in the image of God. That is truly the emphasis, of course, of our whole text. Uh, these three verses that, that uh, we're looking at this morning, this reveals the incredible significance of each and every human life. Each and every human being. It is the, the main reason that the phrase, the sanctity of life, even makes sense. Human life is sacred because human beings are made in the image of the holy God. We'll think more about what that means here in a little bit. The third reality I want to point out that is clear from this verse is that humanity, from the very beginning, was created male and female. One humanity, two different sexes, both made in the image of God. In Genesis chapter 2, we learn more about both the sameness of male and female, as well as how each is distinct from the other. Man is male and female, made in the image of God, 
both created to be like God in their respective roles. And one thing that the, that the show shows us that I must point out, especially to our younger people here this morning, we are living in a society and a culture that is incredibly confused about what it means to be male and female. There are many who are promoting the view that each human being can decide for themselves if they are male or female and then live out their lives as an actor pretending to be a female when they're actually male or pretending to be a male when they're actually female. And friends, if you are male, if you were born male, it is by God's good design for you to be so. And if you are female, if you were born female, it is by God's good design for you to be female. Who you really are is who God created you to be. You will only truly feel like yourself if you are trusting God's will and role for your life. And that, we see here, is to image him as a male or as a female. So what does it mean then to image God? What is the image of God in man? How are we to understand it? Well, there have been many different theories and ideas regarding the image of God. Whole books have been written about it, but at its most basic, you know, just by understanding the words used here, images are created to image. That is, to show and represent the one they were made to image. When you are driving west on Norfolk Avenue in downtown Norfolk, if you look to your left as you cross 3rd Street, you can't help but notice the huge mural paintings of Johnny Carson there on the side of the building. Those are five huge images of Johnny Carson on the wall of that building, and they're meant to get you to think about and remember Johnny Carson. That's the whole purpose of an image. The people who paid for the artist to paint those images wanted people to see them and then think about Johnny Carson, to be reminded that he was born and raised in Norfolk, Nebraska. Images are made to image and to set forth the reality of the person they resemble. So humanity is made in God's image in order to image him, to represent him. When the world looks at human beings, they are to think of God. They are to be reminded that there is a God, that there is a creator. The main purpose for humanity is to represent the sovereign God in his world. If we are to show forth what he is like, well, then we must know who he is. Therefore, being made in the image of God also directly means that we are made to know him. We're made to be in relationship with God. If we don't know him, if we aren't in relationship with him, we are missing a large part of why we are here, of why we exist. God created us to know him and to image him, to represent him in the world. Now, we live in a re remarkable time. 
unlike any other time in the history of the world where due to the advances in ultrasound imaging technology, parents can actually see their baby while the baby is still in the womb. We can clearly see, as we just saw in the video, that what is in the womb is a human being. Just, just a small, still growing and still developing human being, not unlike my three-year-old daughter, who is small, still growing and still developing. When life begins in the womb for each person, at that moment, a miracle happens. Once there was no life, and then all of a sudden there's life. Once the child was not, then all of a sudden, a small human being with an eternal eternal soul, created in the image of God, is there. Before there was nothing, then all of a sudden, there is a life that will exist forever. Back before Greta and I had Esther, uh, I brought her to the doctor. We were getting something checked out, and, and uh, they s- suggested her do an, do an MRI they asked the question, of course, before you know, going in for the MRI, are you pregnant? No. Well, well, we'll do a test just to make sure. Okay, sure. So do a test, not pregnant. She goes through the MRI and, uh, you know, come home a week later, maybe, maybe a week and a half later, she takes a test. Pregnant. Whoa, what, what, how, what? You know, what's going on there? I thought that the doctor said you weren't, and now you are. Well, that was then, and this is now. Something happened. Before there was nothing, then all of a sudden, there was life. There was Esther that will exist forever. So think about it. The trees along the Elkhorn River, which have stood longer than any of us have been alive, will one day perish. They'll one day fall over dead into the river and be washed away. The stars of the universe will one day fade away, but that soul created in a mother's womb will live on forever, made in the image of God. Thirdly, at verse 28, humanity is distinctly blessed by God to represent him in and for the world guided by his word. Verse 28, and God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful, multiply, and fill the earth, and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, over every living thing that moves on the earth. Immediately after God created man and woman in his image, he spoke to them. This is another great honor for humanity, being distinct from animals and the rest of God's creation. Man and woman can interact with God. No other creature can do that. We can be in relationship with him to experience his grace. We can hear and understand his word and be instructed and guided by what he says. That is the blessing here. To be blessed is to know God and to be in right relationship with him. That was the case at creation for the man and woman. They, they knew God. They were blessed This also means that they were responsible, moral, and spiritual beings. God gave a command to humanity here, and we are responsible to follow the command, to obey the command. The command was to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth 
and have dominion over it. That is God's plan for humanity. It was that the whole earth should be populated by those who know him and who serve him wisely as his representatives. Those who image him to the world, who display who God is, who display God's righteousness and his holiness, who display his wisdom, his justice, his truth, who display his mercy and his steadfast love. That is what humanity is called to be and do as image bearers, to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, soul, and strength, and to love our neighbor, who is also made in his image, as we love ourselves. But there's a problem. We haven't done this very well. The problem with humanity, the problem with us, is that we have failed in our attempts to image God. Every day we fail to represent God in the world when we hurt others, when we respond in pride and our selfishness rather than out of love and mercy, when we seek to to grasp glory and happiness for ourselves, even, even using others in order to get what we want, we end up misrepresenting who God is. Rather than, than showing others what he is like, we end up lying about him. In our sin, we have marred his image in us. We, we were created to glorify him with our lives, but we have all fallen short of that. We have fallen short of the glory of God. But there was a man. There was a man who perfectly imaged God throughout his life on the earth. In fact, he was sent by God in order to save and rescue all of God's image bearers, all of his people who have fallen short of the glory of God and are therefore under his condemnation. God sent his son into the world, born of woman, that is, he was also once an unborn small human being in the womb when he first came into the world. And Colossians 1.15 tells us that he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. And then in verse 19, it says, for in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. Jesus perfectly imaged God in his life, He perfectly displayed God's righteousness, his holiness, his justice, his wisdom, his truth, his mercy, and his steadfast love. The Lord Jesus faithfully represented God in all that he did, even willingly submitting himself to be crucified so that sinners like you and I could be forgiven of our sins and our failure to represent God faithfully. And then God raised him from the dead to show that all who believe in him and follow him in faith will be justified before God. God sent Jesus to fulfill the role that we failed at. And he brings us back into a restored relationship with God through our faith in Jesus. We see that again in Colossians 1. Uh, Verses 22 through 23. If you'd like to look there with me. Colossians 1, 22 through 23. 
through 23. I'm sorry, 21 through 23. And you, who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to, rip, in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. And now as we follow Christ and look to him in faith, as we get to know him and see the perfect image of God revealed in him through his word, God restores his image in us. 2 Corinthians 3.18 says, And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, that is the Lord Jesus, are being transformed in the same image from one degree of glory to another. So have you acknowledged your failure to represent God faithfully before your family, before your friends, before your, your classmates, within your daily work? That is, have you acknowledged your sin? Have you repented of your sin? And how you have dishonored the image of God in others through, through hurting them physically or emotionally or mocking or slandering them with your words? Have you confessed your failure to glorify God and how you have lived your life? Well, then call out to him through Jesus Christ, through the one who has reconciled you to God through his death on the cross. Through Christ, you will be presented before God, it says, not in your sin and failures, but in his image holy and blameless and above reproach, righteous in his sight. Forsake your sin and begin to focus your attention on Christ. Listen to his words and be transformed more and more into his image. As we transition now to the table, I'd ask the men who are going to help to serve to come forward here. But I want us to, to, to focus on that incredible message. Incredible message that, that we, failures, sinners, who have not lived up to our calling that God's given to us to, to represent him well in the earth before others, we have sinned in the way that we have rejected God and sought to do things our own way throughout our lives. God had mercy on us and sent his son to save us. We are his image bearers and he sent Christ to save and restore his image in us. It was costly. That's what this table shows us. It was costly. His body was broken, nailed to a cross. His blood was shed, blood poured out of him. He died on that cross, suffering the just punishment that was due for us. God's wrath against our sin was put on him. And so we stand now before God in Christ, righteous. Again, not because of anything that you and I have done, 
Not because we go to church on Sundays. Not because we're born into a Christian family. Only because we have seen what Christ did for us. And we recognized, that's my salvation. Right there. That's my salvation. It's my only hope. So I'd invite you to to take part in the Lord's table this morning if that is your confession. If you are in Christ by faith through his saving work for you done on the cross. I'm going to read for us the instructions given to us by uh, the Apostle Paul here in the New Testament, 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Then we'll proceed with participating in the Lord's table. God's word says, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Our Lord also gives us a warning here. He says, whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. This is just, again, a warning for those who are not in Christ by faith, who have not looked to Christ for their salvation, who are looking to themselves, to something that they did, to some pronouncement that someone else made upon them, they're not, their hope is not in Christ alone. Their hope is in themselves or something else. Well, then the table is not for them. So just a warning for us here. We're examining ourselves for faith in Christ. We're looking to him. If that is you, you're welcome to take part in the Lord's table this morning. I'll ask the men to step forward here. Again, we have these uh, self-contained cups with the wafer and uh, the cup together. There's two little plastic strips that you pull over, one for the wafer, the other one for the cup. Uh, Be careful as you do that, Uh, but we will participate in the uh, 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 partaking of the bread first and then the cup after that together. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we do thank you for this opportunity that we have to tangibly, tangibly experience the gospel. The Lord Jesus really did lay down his life on a cross for us. His body was buried in a tomb. Yet you raised him from the dead on the third day, showing forth to us and to the world that what Jesus accomplished on that cross was our salvation. So, Father, help us this morning to honor Christ as we participate in the Lord's table. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.